Blog Talk Radio. Welcome once again to Madam Perry Salon, the podcast that loves you, the podcast with more celebrities than the inauguration, and that is the truth. I'm your hostess, your groove mistress and cruise director, Madam Perry, but you can call me Jan, Jennifer, uh, musicians always call me JP. It doesn't matter. I'm just happy that you're here, and also I'm happy for the nice reviews you leave for the podcast on Stitcher, Apple iTunes, and say that... uh, uh, you like the guest, you enjoy, you love the guest, that you don't care if it's somebody you already know, like maybe uh, Lita Ford is coming on or someone, or if it's somebody you've never heard, an anthozoologist, you like them all the same. And another thing I really enjoy about this audience, about all of you, is that you let me know when I've got a guest coming on, you go out and do your homework. You do the research and find out. Like I put out um, something about tonight's guest. Uh, what last week and all of a sudden you're sending me yes I've checked this I'm watching this I'm I'm researching that that is uh, a wonderful thing and it's fun uh, as you all telling me so by the way um, again it's because you subscribe and you share this podcast and listen uh, you allow me to keep having the fantastic guests we've been having like Billy Vera uh, was on what last month Donnie Most. Uh, Coming back very soon is Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Ricky Bird. You know him from playing guitar for Joan Jett, and he's got another CD fresh out. And so Ricky Bird will be coming back, and I think in about a week from now. That'll be fun, uh, as always. And uh, Joe Vitale, drummer for uh, Joe Walsh and lots of other folks, he's going to be coming back very soon. So it just gets more and more fun. Now, tonight, I have been getting a lot of information, a lot of messages about this. We've all been checking this out. Everybody is totally excited. Honey, it's just like we've just amped up the room with more pheromones than anyone can hold. Uh, this, this man has been acting, performing uh, since he was a child. He's got a, quite a story. Uh, some people, you know, that you would like to uh, like to parody the old and where the guy said, I'm not a doctor, but I play one on TV. This man can play things on TV and actually do them. And I've, he's got a, hot, a smoking hot documentary out that was filmed in 2012 by Josh Elvis Weinstein. But now it's uh, out on Amazon Prime. We're all watching it. And I just want to introduce because everyone is just. Honey, we're just fanning ourselves down here in the South and everywhere else to welcome to the Genie Bottle that is Madame Perry Salon, Marquis Michael Debar. Welcome to Madame Perry Salon, Michael. Good evening, darling. How are you? I am doing so well. So I'm so well. intrigued by the fact you call yourself Madame. You know, I mean, that, that word is so evocative of so many things. You explained oh. to me 
that it was about your salon and that you were sort of, you know, sitting around with great poets and, and literature. But to me, it's a brothel. I mean, the, well, the word a brothel. Just makes me think of, a brothel? Yes. Well, I wasn't yes. fishing for compliments, but thank you. <laughs> okay. I, I have um, turned hotel rooms into brothels, but I've never been to one. <laughs> Are you sure you didn't just dream that? Maybe you just thought you did. Are you pretty sure? Oh, darling, I don't dream. I had I, I had took a nap in August of 1972. Are you kidding? I can't sleep. I'm an insomniac. <laughs> well, that's that's uh. Why do you fill up all that time? Or are we going to talk about that for the next 30 to 45 or more minutes? Maybe. <laughs> well, I don't know. Where I'll do we start? Well, yeah, what I have I mean, to do to get a yeah. we have to have a series, a Michael DeBar series. Okay, then, and then a Michael DeBar series. I've been in several series. You know, I mean, I've been a lucky guy. I've been a really lucky guy, and I just want to take this opportunity to thank anybody out there who has seen the documentary because it's really incredible. Um, you know, my life and the fact that the content that people need now because they can't leave their homes. You know, which is so awful what we're going through right now to be able mm. to entertain on the radio you know every day i'm on sirius xm and it, it's a, not, a wonderful opportunity to communicate with, with people because now is the time when we must you know get together and literally embrace each other even from six feet away you know you need very long arms and a big heart to embrace each other but it's the only way that we can deal with the madness that we're surrounded by Oh yeah, no kidding. It's gonna take every <laughs> it's gonna take every bit of imagination and uh, entertainment. Although you know, I was I was telling my husband the other day. I said, you know, because uh, he was always says to me, he says, you you really do entertain yourself, don't you? And I said, yeah. Whenever I hear somebody say things are boring, I think, well, no, maybe that person is because I've always been able to amuse myself one way or the other. Well, yeah, I, I think about people being boring. If you find people boring, you're boring. You know, I mean, everybody has some story. And and I think then the, the task becomes, how can I get underneath the nonsense and get to the person, you know, and really speak to the soul of the person? And over the years, I've discovered that, obviously, it's taken some time. But if you're bored, you're boring. Put it that way. When... Um... I'm going to talk to you so much about, I don't know if you want to start with your music or you've got the, the, who do you want me to be, the film. And let me tell you, you know, you say that song made you so much money. When you met Holly yeah. Knight and you wrote some songs yeah. together, and I believe you wrote that together, mm-hmm. didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have Lover, any idea? Writer. Do I have any idea about what? That that song was going to explode. No, no, no. You never know. You know, I mean, I've written so many, you know, for so many artists and myself, but you never know. In fact, it's really, it's something you can't predict. And if you do, you're probably wrong, you know. And the best songs, let's say the most successful songs are the ones that you love. Those are the ones that people usually connect with because, you know, they're the truth. You sing the truth. But some songs go by the wayside, and some that you never thought would be a hit are a hit. You know, it's it's the strangest thing. I wrote that the lyric of that song, and Holly wrote the music, and I wrote the melody and the words. But at the time, we had no idea that it would, you know, be number one everywhere. 
you know, in the whole, in, you know, 27 countries. And, and uh, it was a theme song. It was a theme song what? for a fashion show on, on VH1. There was a fashion yeah, show. A that fa- was their yeah, theme. Yeah, that's right. It was. But, I mean, it's been in many movies, many TV series. And that's why it's, you know, um, continued to, shall we say, be rewarding, you know, because it's been in so many and sung by so many. Some tremendous versions of it, but we didn't know that. I mean, I wrote that lyric in 10 minutes. No. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I wrote it in 10 minutes. It just went, pow, you know, just, just, just screamed at me. Get me on paper. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and I, I, I did, you know, and then Holly is absolutely brilliant. Yeah, and then we did that chorus. Once we had the chorus, who do you want me to be to make you sleep with me? That's such a provocative provocative sentence that it mm-hmm. really just tells a story of, of, of passion and people love to be passionate you know, they might hide it but that's what that's what everybody wants to be passionate about something and care about something you have to fall in love under whatever conditions and that's what that song is it's an obsession to be loved and when you say it like that it, it makes it feel like that's the spark of life yeah, well, what else is there except each other, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I've loved all my wives. Did you, um, <laughs> did I say spark of wife or spark of life? <laughs> or, or, I loved all your lives. Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, my wives hey. have been sparkling. Yeah. Well, they have, yes. Um, hey, listen, my two husbands consider themselves husbands-in-law, so I figure... That's, That's great. I love to hear that. I yeah. love to hear that because you know you <laughs> love them. Why on earth would you? You know, it just you grow. I mean, you know, one is cha- one changes throughout one's life. You know, as, as a young and I was nineteen when I was just married. You know, one hundred and fifty-six now. You know, it's like things change <laughs> for God's sake. <laughs> I'm Lestat, but I'm, I will never marry. This is it. I mean, I'm so in love with my wife, and it's a beautiful thing. Hey, by the way, oh, and hello to the lovely Britta. I don't know if she's with you there right now. And uh, and I remember, I think I've got to say I first learned about you or was first really aware of you when I read Pamela's book way mm. when it first mm. came out, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. I thought, yeah, I love Pamela. Then I realized um, that there was a whole story behind this man. Go ahead. Yes, there's a whole story. It's a thousand stories. I mean, when you've lived it like I have, you know, you start working when I was eight years old and, you know, and I've been working for six decades and, and many things have happened. Um, and it's been amazing. Each one after the other, boom, boom, boom. You know, there's been no, like, the only, you know, really dark cloud over my head that stopped me from shining and being, you know, and working and enjoying work was drugs, narcotics, you know, as a, a junkie for seven years of my life and while I still kept working I didn't enjoy it and that would be the key when I woke up one morning or after you know being in a trance for a month or two um, I realized oh no 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 this is just absolutely ridiculous and that was 39 years ago when I quit drinking and taking drugs and I think it's very important to talk about it or at least to let your audience and everybody else know that um, drugs suck, you know, and completely are the opposite of what you think, you know, oh, it's going to make me so creative and I'm going to be this different, unique and wonderful person. 
nonsense. It doesn't do that. It actually strips you of any true passion. And great art comes from passion, not, you know, this sort of uh, not nodding out and not being able to remember, you know, what, where you are and all of this crap, you know, I hated it. And I got rid of it. And that's, that was the downtime. And, you know, Miss Pamela was so amazing during that course of time. But, um, you know, she was saintly having to deal with me. But it was sort of de rigueur for rock and roll. I'm sure Ricky will tell you all about that. You know, Ricky Bird is a oh, dear friend yeah. of mine. I love him. And Isn't he, he you know, is a sober guy. Yeah, he I love was him. on here about two years ago, and, and he's coming back with his new CD. And I just can't wait. So yeah, I'm glad to know your friend. Great yeah. I like all the fun people to be pals. Well, well he's, he's got a record out, and he takes it very seriously, though. You know, he's a serious, he's a, you know, a keeper of the faith of rock and roll. He believes in rock and roll. And rock and roll, you know, is virtually extinct. If it wasn't for Little Stevens Underground Garage, my radio program, it probably would be. That, and that is a great, Little Stevens Underground Garage is fantastic. I love listening to you on there. It's just a... Uh, it's something where you can go to where you know you're going to hear something that you like, that you want to hear. And uh, and to uh, you and the other DJs are so much fun on there. But I uh, also want to say right now, this is a good time to mention that if you're listening live tonight, and this is the 7th of September, 2020, and it is 8.13 p.m. That's if you're looking at my clock with its GMT minus 5. And you've got something, uh, a question or comment for Michael Debar. If you've seen his uh, documentary, give us a call. The number is 646-716-9922. That's 646-716-9922. It's a toll-free call on the continent U.S. And if you're the people, and sometimes there are folks uh, that follow the show they can't always get to a phone. Maybe they're at a job where they've got to be quiet or off the phone. Uh, you know, you can always send a message to me with a question or comment through uh, Facebook, either through Jennifer Modette Perry or Madam Perry Salon. And, uh, Michael, if you would just, since we're, one of the first guests I ever had on the show went back and told everyone, they said, I've been to Madam Perry Salon. It's like the inside of Jeannie's bottle. And then the word was out. So um, we've got somebody that's going to come into the genie bottle, and I hope you're comfortable here right now. And so if you will just uh, make a little room. Welcome to Madam Perry's Salon. Come on in. Uh, introduce yourself and say hello to the Marquis Michael Debar. Hi. Hi there. Hello. Hi. How are you? Good, good. What are you wearing? Oh, wait, this is still me. Hey, somebody in Atlanta, somebody with the 404 area code, come on in and say hello to Michael. Hi. Jennifer, do you have... Jennifer? Yes? Can you hear me? I can hear you. It's a lady, Michael. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you both. Jennifer, it's Karen Head. Hi. Karen Head. Karen Head, the poet... PhD. I told you she has a husband, English husband. What? Oh yeah, that's right, Karen. Oh, you saw the uh, documentary, right? I did. I did. So uh, we we watched the documentary just the other night. It was uh, a blast from uh, my husband's past, and uh, and actually um, uh, made me think a little bit. You were talking, uh, you know, so much in the documentary about 
um, you know, the performative elements of your life and creating sort of uh, the, the self that was necessary in the moment. And mm. I was sort of struck because I, I started thinking, I was reading a few years ago at the Poetry Cafe in London, and there was mm. a, a gentleman there, um, and he, he actually got up and walked out of my, my reading. And then the next night I was giving another reading at the Waterstones near, near Islington. And he was there again. And this time he stayed. And afterwards we were sort of having drinks and he said, uh, he said, you know, he said, I just, I just really didn't like who you were last night. I mean, you know, it's like you were, you know, all your, you know, the poems, I felt like you were talking about shopping and it just, it felt so commercial, but then tonight you seemed like you were, you were real. Um, it, it turned out that it happened to be David Allen from soft machine and gong. Um, and my husband wound up having sort of this long conversation with him. And so there was this, this music connection and I had been reading the music, a lot of music poems the, the second night. And I guess that comes around to the notion of, I've been listening a lot on, um, you know, and reading a lot on the media about women performers and especially women who've reinvented themselves several times, like Madonna, for instance, really coming under a lot of criticism. And I'm wondering if you feel that you had that, that that's gendered in any way do you think that women take a lot more flack for inventing and reinventing themselves or do you think that that that's not really a thing or were you just uh you were just lucky because you were able to constantly reinvent yourself just because of your own personality I don't think the sex has got anything to do with um, whether you can reinvent yourself. Every artist reinvents themselves because they get older. So when you're 18, you're revolutionary and you're, you're, you're full of fire and passion. And then you're 25 and you got married and you have a small child and you play different roles. And now you're 40 and you're playing the best friend of the star. And then you're 60 and it's over. So it's the same applies well, to the guy. I mean, there's no well. Let's, well, I don't believe in the word hope. I believe in the word faith. I don't believe hope at all. I'm telling you what it's like in show business. I'm explaining facts to you. In terms of well, you know I, recreating yourself, men go through the same situation. I mean, I don't think no. one sex is more difficult for one sex than it is for the other. Well, I do think, I mean, I understand what you're saying about the process, and I agree. I guess my question was more, do you think that women come under more criticism for continuing to do that? So, for instance, like no. Madonna recently, that you know, there's been a no. lot of, she needs, to, she needs to act her age, essentially, is what she's being told. No, no, I don't pay any attention to that crap. That doesn't, okay. It's not part of my world, you know. I mean, I don't, you know, Madonna's great. She had a great career. She's worth a billion dollars. What's the problem? <laughs> and um okay fair enough um there was also a little bit of uh mention of, of you writing poetry yourself can you talk a little bit more about that because that's not something that was really um talked about all that much on the documentary everything i say is a poem oh. if you think of you speak in poetry as- I, I believe everything I say is a poem. Yes, you heard me right. Because art is life, is my life. So therefore, I could go to the supermarket and within minutes have people around me asking questions. Where'd you get those boots? 
why did it kill Richard Dean Anderson? You know, whatever, whatever the question is, I, I, it's a show. So what is a show? Is it scripted? Is it unscripted? It doesn't matter. If you look at art, in my, I look at my life as being the embodiment of art. So any, anything I say, it doesn't have to rhyme, as you know. Um, but I wouldn't say I'm a poet. <laughs> I would simply say I love to um, express myself in whatever form. It can be as a writer, uh, you know, I have books of poetry out, I have albums out, I have movies out. I just express myself. People say, well, which, what do you like best? And I say, um, everything. All of it. I'm not going to say this is better, this woman is, you know, women have more problems than men, men have more problems. These, these are pedantic uh, questions. Poetry is living. How's that? I, I, I certainly agree with that. All right. Would you describe yourself as a poet or a housewife, or how would you describe yourself? Uh, I I normally uh, my go-to is that um, I'm a teacher and I'm a writer. Um, it, it, Do you think one of the reasons was a teacher? Do you think Madonna's a teacher? I, I don't know how they self-identify. I do think that they teach. Um, I think they instruct through, you know, their art because I think art is is instructional in lots of ways. Um, Do you write poetry to instruct people? Sometimes I think there is um, there is some life lesson that I'm hoping that that someone will uh, gain from reading uh, poetry. My poetry. So that means um, that I tend you've, you've got. That means you've got the answer. Is that what you're saying? No, I think it's more. No, I think it's. I think it's instructional in a much broader sense. I mean, in the sense of how do we explore various conditions or challenges, um, and how do we think about ourselves? Um, I think it's more of a of a conversation starter towards a better understanding kind of instruction than a uh, a, a sort of, you know, uh, it's it's certainly not a lecture. Why do you think the man left? Why do I think the man, the man left? The, uh... Oh, oh, when David when 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 David walked out of uh, out of the um, the reading. Well, um, I was reading some poetry that honestly he. Uh, you know, he he was entitled to his interpretation. He heard a handful of poems, and several of them made reference to um, to things like being in Paris and and visiting a shop in Paris and um, and taking as he cues. left the building because you were in a shop in Paris. No, no, no. He he didn't like the poetry because, as he said, he took it to be about things that were unimportant. So his idea of poetry was wow. much How loftier. Than... How <laughs> I would have chased him. I would have chased him down the street. Well, I didn't know why he was leaving to... that night. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we were, he, well, maybe yeah, we, he was we were... high. Or... No, yeah. I think he was. Uh, I think he was fine. I think he just. Um, 
you know, again, you, you said, do I think of myself as a poet? Here's where I struggle against that term. I think that everybody wants to be a poet. Being a poet, that sounds sexy. Um, the actual work of writing poetry is actually not nearly as glamorous. It's like the music business. Oh, I, I you know, everybody sees the show. More. I couldn't disagree more. I, I really, really? you know, I, I, yeah, I couldn't disagree more. I think the poetry of children who have no educative knowledge at all write the most poignant and beautiful poems. In fact, what I did in my radio program is I ended it every, I ended my radio programs at Stevens Underground Garage with poems from around the world, from nine-year-old to 11-year-old children who are victims of the pandemic of COVID-19. And they are by far more engaging and interesting and beautiful and um, painful than any poet I've ever read. Oh no 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 no! You're you, no you're mis no you're misunderstanding what I'm saying because I think I mean I think any anyone almost at, at any age that can communicate. I mean I wrote started writing poetry when I was six years old. Um, right. No, what I'm saying is that that there are a lot of people who just want to pronounce themselves as the thing. Who cares? You know, I am. Who cares you know, I am about a poet. Well, no, no, you said no. What? You said why don't Do we I? Care? Why? Well, no, no, you were asking me about my self-identity and sort of like how do I personally, you know, do I say I'm a poet? And I tend to recoil a little, a, a little against saying that I am a poet simply because I feel like that carries because a lot you, of um, – Really? It, it, but, if you're, but you do consider yourself a poet. I, so yeah. why would you avoid describing yourself as such? Because you think other people will think that you're being overly dramatic? Yes. Oh, yes, well, listen, I think can there I give you a, a tip? Don't sure. worry about what other people say about <laughs> you. If I worried about what people say about me, I would have, you know, hung myself in a bridge, you know, 40 oh. years ago. When you do what I do, which is push yourself out there. Now, you, you're reading, you know, uh, poetry, um, and, and that's giving somebody. It's a, such a generous thing to do. Now, people can come and criticize. If you listen to anybody that's critical of you, I think, and pay attention, it's a useless endeavor. So who cares what people say about the word poet? Yeah. Good. I've been called a lot worse. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> have I? By the way, Karen, i, I got to say, you know, because I've, I've loved your poetry since I met you and learned about you from um, from another Colin, Colin Kelly, but um, where was I going? I don't know. I was just going to say thank you so much uh, for for taking your time to call for watching the documentary last week after I posted this, and we're going to have to. Well, everybody needs to watch the. Yeah, yeah. It's called um, Who and, Do You and Want Me to Be? good fortune with your with your poetry, which is just telling the truth, you know. Um, I never, it's interesting, your process. Do you write do you, and then rewrite much or do you just spit it out? You know, occasionally you'll, you'll get that, that gift from the muse where it, it comes out and it mostly is unrevised. But no, it, there's a, there, is a, there is some work that goes into most of it. You, you do have to, to revise and, and work through to get it to where it's where you kind of, I mean, I don't think it's ever, you know, it's the old cliche, writing is never actually finished, it's only due. Um, mm-hmm. So, but, <laughs> um, so uh, 
Yeah. Well, good luck with your poetry. Are you published? Yes, yes, I, I have. Um, I have about, uh, I guess, what uh, my eighth book is getting ready to come out. Fantastic. Well, the best of luck with it. Yes, yes. Okay. Well, and 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 uh, I highly recommend the documentary to everyone. So everybody should should watch it. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Karen. Thank thanks to you and your hubby, Colin. Sure. Thanks, Jen. Bye. Hey, you come back here soon, okay, Karen? Yeah, oh, well, you know, Colin time, and I. So. Yeah, Colin and I have that new book coming out together, so you'll have to have us on about that. Definitely, yes. definitely. We'll set it Perfect. up tomorrow. All right, thanks so okay, very bye. much. All right. And who else? Hi, welcome to Madam Perry Salon. You're on with the Marquis, Michael Day Barr. So just introduce yourself. Say hello. Jim Dabre, it's your favorite Polish cartoonist, Peter G. Oh, <laughs> hello, Peter. How are you? <laughs> All right, how you doing, sir? I'm doing good. That's good to hear. I was I was calling mostly because I was listening to your comments about about you. Congratulations on being clean, by the way, because I've seen a lot of people just wreck themselves doing that. So you know, fantastic job on that. I know it's not easy to beat. So drugs? Uh, yeah, that drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, congr- yeah. I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's stupid kid stuff. Uh, it's. Because I was thinking about the things you were saying about uh, about how it interferes with the creative process. I'm a huge fan of Trey Parker and Matt Stone from South Park. And Who? Parker in an interview, uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone, the creators of South Park. Oh, brilliant, yeah. Uh, and uh, they were doing an interview, and, uh, and they brought up how people think that with all the stuff they come up with, they must be on drugs or something when they write it. And Parker said – these people have never done drugs because they know that if you did drugs, you don't get a whole lot done. <laughs> and they, we'd just be sitting around going, dude, you know, it'd be sweet. And we'd just kind of stop there for the entire day. You know, yeah, and, they, and these are, the, the real thing about that is it, yes, you do get a lot done, but it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's, it, it, I mean, it's, I really do wonder about about the industry sometimes. I remember a story that Tom what Petty industry? told. Which industry uh, are you well, talking about? Well, uh, the entertainment industry in general, because like you know, Robert. What a Jr. horrible had... discussion! <laughs> Please proceed about the, the about show business. I'd love to hear your <laughs> thoughts. Well, like, I remember a story about Tom Petty supposedly. Tom Petty, uh, when he first got his record contract, he came into the studio and there were all kinds of drugs available. And he said, what's this for? They said, well, you're going to need to write. He says, no, I don't. They said, no, after your first album, you're going to be burnt out and you're going to need inspiration. But he never touched the stuff. And, you know, Robert Downey Jr., you know, you know, he kicked it and he's, you know, he's stayed clean ever since. And it's just amazing. You know, it's great to see people can actually, you know, lose the shackles. Tom Petty was a drug addict. He was? I didn't know that. Do the do your research, was... my dear fellow. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, he had, he had tremendous difficulties with uh, uh, drugs. You know, when he broke his hip, uh, unfortunately, uh, that, uh, you know, he lost control of himself. Uh, it's a well-known fact. Oh. Okay. I Oh, and in terms nice of Downey, Downey, Downey is a shining example of reincarnation. Um, but we all are. 
you know, I mean, but to say that Tom Petty walked into a studio and turned down a joint is like saying there were five Beatles. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, 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 I figured that part, I mean, uh, with songs like Last Chance with Mary Jane, stuff like that, I'm like, yeah, I know, I know, but I didn't think you did it. Mary Jane, what does that. that stand for? Shampoo? I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, we, we were we were all we were all ignorant of what of the meaning at one time or another. We all had to learn. <laughs> well, right. yeah, uh, we did, you know, and, and, and most people did, but and the ones that didn't die. Yeah, it's a, it's it, it, it's rough. It really is. Oh, so it's just I'm, right. I, I, anybody that it's can beautiful. stay out of it. Listen, I, it's life, man. You know, I'm glad I went through that experience because um, I learned a lot. I learned a lot about humanity, and I learned how painful addiction is because it's not a choice. You know, it's a, it's a, you are owned by it, and therefore I would, you know, created Rad Rock Against Drugs for the MTV in the 80s. I don't know if you recall, but it was a series of ads oh. of Ozzy Osbourne, John Bon Jovi, Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols. A lot of people, you know, for 30 seconds talked about. Uh, drugs, you know, ruining their lives and how they got clean. I remember we went to Washington, me and my manager at the time, Danny Goldberg and Steve Jones of the Sex Pistols, and asked for money to do a PSA campaign. Um, and they gave us money, as did uh, Coca-Cola. And we made all these ads. Uh, it was called RAD, Rock Against Drugs. And it was tremendous. And that would never have happened if I hadn't done drugs. It's a weird world, isn't it? Mm. You know, so yeah, I'm getting sober created an atmosphere within which I could, I could, uh, you know, have these PSAs out there with youngins on MTV when MTV was, you know, the electric church and everybody watched oh, yeah. it and worshipped at it, as you know. You know, then every now and then, you know, somebody would pop up and go, you know, these suck, don't do them. Whether, it, you know, whether it made a difference or not, um, I, I think it did, but it's something that you have to explore and find out for yourself. Absolutely. All right. Well, that, Peter, thank you so much for calling. Have you watched the, the uh, Have you watched the documentary yet? Who do you want me to be? I, I haven't had a chance to yet. It's a, it's on my list. I just haven't gotten to it yet. Oh, good. Well, I can't. Good, man. Thanks for calling. Yeah, you'll you'll. It's it's fascinating. I've watched it. I'm on my third time watching it. So because you're gonna see it, and then you're gonna you're gonna have to go back over and over to get everything. But it's fantastic. It's worth it. All right. There's thank a you lot so of much, good people Peter. in there. But thank you so mm. much, Peter. Bye bye. Bye. Okay. Yeah, we've got um got another call uh, here waiting for you. But you know what? You're right. With uh, in the film. Who do you want me to be? You know, you start talking about, you know, your childhood, your parents. Actually, it starts back before that, back at what, in 1241 or something. Uh, but about your parents, your childhood, going to school, uh, switching back and forth between personas. Like you're, you've got to have that little posh sound in the boys' school and then have the street sound when you're in right. um, drama Rock school. And, and, yeah. Uh, and yeah, people, and, and that, that was legit. I mean, when, um, I grew up in the city of Atlanta, but I remember working at a, uh, going to a school. Uh, actually, it was a cosmetology school out in a, a more of a, what was at that time more of a rural area. And when I'd go to work in the daytime in a salon in um, a posh area of Atlanta, they would go, oh, you live in, man, that city. You know, they thought I was just a country girl. Then I'd go up there an hour later for school, 
and they'd say, oh, you're from Atlanta. We don't like city gals. And it's like, it's like yeah. Yeah. wait. Well, that's that like it exactly. Being... That's it exactly, Jennifer. That's exactly what uh, I went through. But I, I, like you, was a chameleon, you know, and would fit into whatever situation I found, my, found myself in because I had no parental control. You know, I had no idea of what I, who or what I was. So I adapted to whatever community I happened to be in, and you clearly did also. Did you think that that was a, a big part of what made you such a success as an actor? That you could just Maybe. I mean, I, you know, people ask me that, you know, did that make you be able to slip and slide in, in terms of characters? But you know what? At the end of the day, if you look at all the things I've done, which is 150 hours of um, American television, 40 movies and 20 albums, everything I've done, I've really, it's been the same guy. I mean, whether it be funny rock and roll star or whether I be an assassin, I'm still me. Yeah, I, I don't profess to change into. Yeah, I'm not a method actor. You know, I just say the words and uh, you know try and wear like a good outfit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I'll have to ask you for some help about that later. I did a uh, year before, see, <laughs> before last. I did a but I week. I would never be, as, you know, I would never be as pretentious as saying, "Yes, I lose myself." I, if I'm playing a hairdresser, uh, I go to hairdresser school, and I really understand how to cut a hair, and then I can go, <laughs> and I can be real in the movie, and I will get my scissors, and it'll look real. You know? Are you kidding? <laughs> And I'll feel the part, man. I'll really feel it. It'll be me. Yeah. Where are the scissors? Where are the fucking scissors? Yeah, I can't. Yeah. I can't yeah. Do that. Although, yeah. I was going to say, uh, October before last, I worked uh, a week on Stranger Things. And um, it was a night shoot all week. It's, it's, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the show Stranger Things on Netflix. But it yes, was, I'm very, uh, very aware of the show. Okay, so it was like 25 degrees all week, and we were shooting all night long, but but the, it was taking place on 4th of July, so we're all in summer clothes. And, um, of course, I had to start, you know, I had on a dress uh, with short sleeves, so every night I started putting a, a, a long sleeve uh, T-shirt underneath and some yoga pants, and I had to pull them up under my skirt and pull the sleeves up under my short sleeves. And then I saw when I saw myself on TV, I thought, my gosh, all the all that thermal underwear i look so chunky in that but um <laughs> see i'm way too narcissistic to have done something like that. i would have been naked i would na- you know, <laughs> naked and freezing which is the title of my next movie very exciting oh i can't um, wait i can't no, wait well, you know, <laughs> well something you know it takes place in the 80s as you know and there were some kids there uh maybe 17, 18, and they had kind of those Tom Selleck-type running shorts and tank tops and the knee socks, and the boys and the girls are going, did people really dress this way back then? I said, yes, honey, that's when club drugs became popular. How else would a guy dress like you get laid? But I've got uh, somebody, here on, somebody here who wants to talk to you. Hi. Welcome to Madam Perry Salon. You're on the air with Marquis Michael DeBar. Say hello. Introduce uh-huh. yourself. Uh, is that me? Hi. Yeah. Hi. That's okay. you. Oh, hi. Hi, Jen. It's Belle. Hi, Michael. Hi. hi how are Belle? you? I no, love I, all I, your I friends are calling in. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to call a few times before, and I wasn't sure. It's, uh... I, I saw you your are. documentary. Thank oh, good. you. Enjoy it. By the way, that's quite a story. Mm. It is indeed. What part of it did you relate to the most? Um, the, 
probably the trying to figure out who you are. You've talked a bit about, Jen, I guess you can relate this to shifting personas with each, I don't want to say each lifetime, but uh, now my mom died when I was little and I ended up growing up in the system, long and the short of it, and now I'm an actress. So <laughs> Good, good for you, can, good for you. I'm sorry to uh, hear that. Um, it, it, but it is what it is, you know. Yeah. I, I never knew, so I, you had a bigger loss than I did because I never knew them really. Your dad, you know, uh, I ran across them yeah. over. Yeah, so I'm I'm sorry that, that that's that's tough. And now you're well, an actress. Well, good for you. Hi, uh, Jen, I and and Mike, I did write a song thing for you. If you want me to sing it to you guys. Yeah, hold one second. I met Belle on uh, the set. We were working on the show called um, Hot Ones. The Hot Ones. <laughs> the Hot Ones with the guy Sean. Yeah. What's his name? Sean it's Evans. Nice. It's where people he makes people eat hot wings, hotter and hotter. Uh-huh. And in between, I have no idea what that is. No what that is but... We we started as a YouTube It's a game. It's a game show where they bring people out and they make them have to eat. Hot, the hottest sauce possible on the wings, and then with the audience, we have to yell, "Clean that wing, clean that wing!" And then they ask them trivia questions. And uh, in between, I would rather the tape... date Charles Manson than watch a show <laughs> like that. Hey, my agent booked it. Don't judge me. <laughs> well, I'm not judging hey. you, darling. I'm simply telling you what I wouldn't do. Oh, <laughs> I, I have joking. no idea. I, what, I don't watch television. Really, I'm sure the marquee understands. A girl and a guy have to turn a buck. But anyway, uh, in between taping not with the hot shows, sauce, darling. I, you know, not with hot sauce. You know, I provide the hot sauce. Well, anyway, to, you know, in between bring your shows, own hot sauce. Yeah. <laughs> but they would they would ask people some of us that working on the show in between tapings if we would come out and entertain the audience I guess the comedian was getting tired and Belle comes out she was working on a different side of the of the, uh, of the studio from me and she comes out and does this freestyle about what's going on this is her gift oh, and great. after I posted awesome. Last week on Instagram about uh, who do you want me to be? Michael DeBar is going to be on the show. Then she she uh, sent me a message, a private message saying, I've got it. Uh, my friends have got it. We're all watching it now. We can't wait to, to hear him. So, think, Belle, you got a little freestyle? Go for, for the marquee. Uh, yep. Day all right. Um, yeah, sure. Do yeah, it. I, all right. I was, I was writing as you talked, so I'm glad I called in when I did. Because a lot of gems in there, but here we go. We were young and restless, chasing fire, love and fun, changing voices, choices and guesses, trying to find the one. Tell me if I'm right for you, but if you let me take you somewhere new, I'll be a no regret, a little star, a let. Fire off a lucky shot. Go and place your bets on any silhouette. What we are is what we've got. And now where does the time go, baby? What do these words mean? Madame Marquis, a little you and me. The things we can be, the things that I've seen. With some luck and pluck and dreams. 
I'll be in no regret, a little star roulette, fire off a lucky shot. Go and place your bets on any silhouette, what we are is what we've got. And yes, you heard me right, the words I say, I tell a story every day. Skip the nonsense, the dull and roll, I want to dance right to the heart and soul. Colors, questions, thoughts that shape her, words that must be thrown to paper. So take the faith, show me passion, don't ever say it's gone out of fashion. So from one heart grasping to another, asking if there's ever time to cover the world we're trying to discover. I heard one say, well, we have each other. And there you go. Well, that's very nice. It's a very, very, very sweet. You've got a lovely voice, um, and it's all in tune. Um, what do you write songs with an in- instrument, or what is I the story? Know, I know. I just kind of sing, sing to the melody in my head. Well, remember when you write a song, it is mm-hmm. it was beautiful, and the words are wonderful. And you 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 absolutely have perfect pitch. But when you do that. Think in terms of a verse and a chorus, mm-hmm. and so there's a difference. All right. So you sing the narrative in the verse, and then when you hit the chorus, you know, have a title of it and, and repeat that title. You know, songs have choruses. Do, do, do you know what that means? Yeah, I, I, did, I not, did I not put that in there with the, I'm, I'm listening, with the no regret star roulette thing? Yeah, but at the end, halfway through, you just sang the same melody for the last half of that song. It just repeated itself. There was no climax to it. It it was making love, but there was no orgasm. Do you see what I mean? (laughs) I'm 23, not quite, but I I can draw the line. (laughs) You're 23 years old? Yes, sir. Well, good for you. This is what you should do. Find somebody that plays an instrument and write songs with them because you've got a really good voice and obviously a lyrical, a, a lyrical ability, but you, you've got to work at the music. It's music. It doesn't, ha- it, it's not a straight no, line. No, 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 I understand. Yeah. It has to move. I don't, yeah, and you don't play, do you? Michael? I play every instrument. Oh, baby. Yeah. Yeah, I've written many, many hits for many people. You saw him play guitar on the documentary. He's good. Not not Michael. No, I was asking you if you played. Michael, you're welcome to add music to anything I write, but I'm sure you're a very good man. You know, that's that's fine, but but I I work with a a bunch of people. But I'm saying you should find somebody to play music with. But thank you so much. It sounded great. Yeah. No, but I'm a drummer. I'm a drummer, uh, Belle, but my uh, husband's a musician. I'm a chick singer. Do you know what that means? No. Michael, I bet he does. Michael, how do you know when there's a chick singer at the door? Um, I can smell them. <laughs> <laughs> well, that shoots the hell out of... She, she can't find the key. She doesn't know when to come in. Okay, so... Oh, that's a good song title, sweetie. <laughs> oh, I, I can tell her. Can't, uh, that okay. is a good song. I'm going to write that down. I'll, I'll save that for later. 
She can't find okay. it. Okay. Thank, thank you so much for calling in. Thanks so much, Bill. And I'm glad. Oh, thank you. Okay. Bye bye. And I'm glad Hi, you bought the documentary. criticism, Michael. Like I genuinely oh, do. Oh, sure. It, no, it wasn't cri- criticism. It was, um, uh, you know, a genuinely uh, uh, an observation. Advice. Yeah, maybe a coach. Make your I music even more interesting. Uh, For sure. All right. Well, you two take care. I'll be listening. Okay. Thanks, bye. 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 And again, thanks for thanks for purchasing. Who do you want to be? I've got so many things to ask you about, and you. Do you still play guitar a lot? Every day. Every day? Every day, yeah. I'm a musician. I write and play music all the time. Do you have any preference over dramatic or comedic work? No. It's all the same. If you look at it, uh, it's a question that one has asked, you know, for for many, many many years. But hypothetically, Heath Ledger who was a wonderful actor, the Joker. The Joker was mm-hmm. a villainous murderer, but he was amusing, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So therefore, there's no, you can't go into it and try and be funny, and you can't go in it and try and be villainous. You just understand the words, understand the situation, and whatever happens, happens. It's very difficult to be funny when your line is, I, I'm going to kill you now. But in a way, you can make it funny, you know? Well, and yeah, that was surprises certainly... the audience. So you know, yeah, you I don't squeeze... think too much. I don't think. I do it. I don't think too much about it. Well, you, you definitely squeeze a lot out of, out of uh, Murdoch. And... Yes, I, I'm a good squeezer. <laughs> a renowned Excellent squeezer. Squeeze. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's my new band name, Michael DeBond the Squeezers. <laughs> Very exciting. Squeezer with the provenance. So, um, indeed. Then, yeah. And then I think no, Murdoch was great. But Murdoch was funny. I mean, Murdoch. Yeah. You know, a lot of kids that that have Murdoch, and even now as grown-ups or or in reruns, the extraordinary thing about doing a series in the 80s, and I did a lot of telly in the 80s and 90s, is is that for a lot of people, I will always be that guy. So when they come up to me in the street and go, oh, Murdoch, you're such a bastard. And Do you remember that episode where you did that? And of course I don't remember. <laughs> but you, you can't say, oh, that was episode seven, about 26 minutes in, when I took my hat off. Yes. You know, I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so but, come on. but you don't want to come let on. anybody down. You don't, you know, you don't want to say, oh yeah, you know, you go, oh yeah, that was great, you know. But they see you as the, that person then, even now, you know, when I'm forty, thirty years ago, and I look very different. How does it feel when people remember that much detail about you? Because it's on every day. No, when you do those TV shows, it's on somewhere. Every day, MacGyver is played at Melrose Place. All of Seinfeld, WKRP, all the series that I did are still playing (laughs) somewhere. All right. You talk about, you know, the one thing with uh, what, like music, comedy, timing. And I, when you were on Seinfeld and the uh, the, the snooty major D 
and they shove mm-hmm. you in that car. I mean, even from the beginning when they walk in to talk to you about the car, I mean, it just seems like everything is just bam, bam, you know, beat, beat, beat on the between you and and George and Jerry. Yeah, that well, it's it's, fun like, it's rhythm, it's rhythmic, you know. It's there's a rhythm to to setting up a joke, and you know, I mean, I used to talk about it with with Jason, you know, because Jason because Jerry was so deadpan. And Jason was like a, a true actor, comedian, you know, and uh, but a brilliant actor. And we would talk about the rhythm of it all. And Jerry has a particular rhythm. But I'm coming in there like a, you know, a snotty maitre d'. It's so obvious, you know, you're English and you won't let somebody have a, a, the best table unless they give you slip your $100. You know, there's a million things that are going through your head <clears throat> that makes it real. But because of it's comedic, uh, then you have to do it at a certain pace. You know, it's faster and uh, bouncing off the other actor. You know, I don't know. It just comes naturally. It's like music. You know, the drummer drums, the bass player ba- plays that bass and it fits together. If it's good, it fits. And um, I've been lucky. I've worked with great actors. Mm-hmm. And uh, they certainly say the same uh, about you. You were on, I think it was an episode of Suits. Of, of suits, yes, yes. And that's where I met Megan Markle. Markle. Mm-hmm. Did yeah. you? And did you? Yeah, I did. Ever think? Yes, I had that's... wild sex with a princess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if she's ever on the throne, well, I don't know. You never know with them. You know, they've kind of. I would be knighted. Like... They would <laughs> knight me. Sir Michael. <laughs> Yeah, the Marquis Sir Michael. Thank you. Yet another title from from Megan. Yeah, why not? No, um, but in all seriousness, uh, I, you know, she was great. I thought she was really fun. The crew loved her. Everybody loved her. She was very seductive and uh, a terrific actress. Oh, that's fantastic. What about working with uh, Clint Eastwood? Great. A miracle. I mean, I was I got the gig via video, and I, I talk like this, like a bad guy, and I want to kill that motherfucker. I want to do this. I want to do that. And Clint saw the video. I never met him, you know. And and when I did meet him, it was in Nevada, in the mountains, uh, uh, just outside, you know, in Nevada, to play this biker guy, you know, this uh, Aryan Brotherhood biker guy. And he didn't know I was English, you know. And I'd go up to him on the set and in my leather jacket, my ponytail and my gun, and I'm about to do a scene, and I say to him, go ahead, make my career. <laughs> and, and he left his <laughs> and, and we became really good friends. It was fucking awesome. He, I loved him. He was the best. That night, dig this. That night, he takes me into the into the trailer, which was, you know, we're on vacation, so he's in the trailer. But the trailer was Schwarzenegger's gym, and Clint had gotten it off Schwarzenegger, and he sat me down and he showed me. This is the first night of shooting this movie, Pink Cadillac, and he, he showed me a movie on Thelonious Monk. The jazz piano player, the avant-garde, because he loves music. And oh, he yeah. sat me down and he watched it. And we watched it in silence. Now, I'm sitting next to Dirty Harry, for Christ's sake. 
<laughs> I mean, I, I am in cinematic heaven, you know, and watching Thelonious Monk with Clint Eastwood in Arnold Schwarzenegger's trailer. I mean, this is epic. And I'll never forget that moment. <laughs> and at the end of the movie, the, the Warner Brothers logo comes up, which is a shield, as you know. And, it, and, then the, and then the lights went on in the trailer. But there was a Warner Brothers flunky in the back. And Clint turns around and says, take the shield off. And by that, he meant, I don't want it to look like a corporatized documentary. I want that logo off the movie. Really? How about that? Yeah. You know, yeah. great man. I mean, his politics, of course, we couldn't be further apart in, politically. But that's not the point. He's a, he was a, uh, you know, he's an icon. And to look into that face that I've looked into since I was a child, it was a blessing. I, I, I mean, to think, I, I'm gobsmacked thinking of you. This is the first day you've met him after the first day, first night, and you're in that trailer, and he's watching, you're watching. He wants you to watch this yeah. lesson about the last yes. month. And, yes. and, and, and I'm, that's, okay, I, I, I yes. don't even know the and word for that. Reason, that's bringing you into well, the fold, I think. Uh, yes, it, very smart of you, Matham. Very smart of you, because I could feel that he was going, he really wanted to see how I would respond to it, because it's how I would respond to it is why, you know, we got along so well, because, because he could see that, you know, when you're watching a musician and he plays something that is so amazing and avant-garde and brilliant and unexpected, and you gasp or something, you know that that person is listening and understands the art that is happening. And, and, and I think that that's what bonded us, you know, and we talked about music for the next two months and Bernadette too, you know, was, was on the show and, and she was equally brilliant. Bernadette Peters, you know, equally brilliant yeah. as a singer. So the three of us would have many a chin wag in between setups, you know, about the greatness of, of music and what that means, the flow and the rhythm of an actor or an actress is, uh, is based on rhythm, which yeah. is music, which is why when people say, well, which, what do you like best? I say both. Yeah. You know, and it's impossible to say one or the other. I've seen her twice on Broadway with this, um, Annie, uh, Annie Get Your Gun. Yeah. And the other was... Uh, great artist. Yeah, yeah, and um, I was one gypsy. Yeah, she's amazing, and Clint was amazing, and it's an incredible yeah. um, mo- movie to make. You know, I made a lot of good oh. friends in that movie, uh, and my gang, my biker gang, and you know, it was fun. It was, it was Clint and, Eastwood, for God's sake. And oh, for God's sake, Clint, and he's in Atlanta a lot because whenever he's in town working yeah. on something, um, because. There is a, a friend of mine who plays trumpet, Joe Granston, and he sings, but he's also um, very, I think he, he's, he's a bit like Chet Baker, and Eastwood mm-hmm. is just enamored of him. And, you know, he was yeah. talking one time, maybe doing something about Chet Baker and having Joe Granston play Chet, but he'll, he'll if he's in Well, they tried it. Joe Ethan Hawke did a Chet Baker movie. I don't know if you're aware oh. of that, but it, it, it's... Um, and he was very good, but it's impossible to capture the charisma. That's why Chadwick Boswell was so amazing, you know, because when oh. he played James Brown, I mean, that, that, you know, and I'm a DJ, you know, I play James Brown every day, virtually. And to see Chadwick do that, 
was one of the greatest things. And it's so weird because a couple of days before he died, I watched that movie um, of, of Chadwick as James Brown. And then he did, I was just, I was looking at my phone and it came up that he died. And I, I was just shattered, you know. And it's so interesting because this morning I just played Shout and Shimmy, which is a James Brown song. Um, and I couldn't in my mind distinguish between the real James Brown and Chadwick's performance as James Brown. They are so now universally linked in my mind. I'm sure that will separate. But that's how incredible he was. That actor, unbelievable actor, incredible actor. Mm-hmm. Makes me very happy to see great work. Yes, it does. And I tell you, it, I think I think there was just a collective across the world when people, when I think so many, what, thousands, millions of people who admired him and his work, him as a person, but also his work so much. And then I think we all probably had the little things dropped down on our um devices or phone, iPad, whatever, when he passed, I think there was just a collective holding of breath in the world. Uh, because he was so well, young the tweet, so his tough. last tweet was the most tweeted tweet in history. Chadwick's last tweet. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, yes, he was a beloved artist and will remain so. And, you know, when I wrote about him... Um, some magazine and I you know my whole thing was the reason that he could play great icons is because he was great he brought greatness to these roles that were people who were, who were icons and as a result you know he will remain an icon himself hmm. by the way I've just had a message from Jules Perry no relation but she's a, a rock photographer and she said this guy is such a good talker. I am fascinated. And she said, sometime you're going to have to have a Zoom hangout on one of these interviews or a virtual after party so we can talk about the shows. But she said um, she and her husband are getting the documentary to watch tomorrow night. And so I hope they enjoy it. I'm sure they will. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the, much, the director was the director, Josh Weinstein is how you pronounce it. It, it was his first movie. It was very, very expensive to make because, as you can see, it's a very well-made movie. It's not some black-and-white, stupid, you know, documentary about some bass player nobody's heard of. You know, it was a very, very cleverly made movie, and it cost a fortune. And uh, thankfully, it is doing very, very well. And I, um, I was so honored to work with the guy. He'd never made a movie before. <laughs> and I never watched a frame of it, by the way. And it took eight years. And I never watched it. Really? I was never in the room with Don Johnson. I was never in the room with John Taylor or Steve Jones. When they did their Gabriel, all of it, Gabriel Byrne, all of the people in the movie, I was never there at the interviews. And I never watched a frame of it until it was done. Wow. Speaking of frame, Josh is also a comedian, isn't he? As well as a writer? Yeah. Yeah. He's funny. He's a writer, producer, comedian, filmmaker. By the way, speaking of frames, that's one of the things my husband thought was a very nice device was the, the picture frames. Yeah. And well, who do you want me to be? You know, there's all these guys yeah. on the wall. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it was so clever. You know, it was a very clever um, conceit to put me in a gallery because I am a gallery. <laughs> Michael DeBars, you have been so 
generous tonight with your time and your stories and and sharing everything. I am just so grateful to you for spending so much time with us here. Well, I'm I'm happy to, um, Madam, Madam Jennifer, and I wish you continued success. Clearly, you're a brilliant interviewer. Your show is spectacular, and listening to all your friends and thank you so much. And I'm sure our paths will cross soon. I I hope so. Maybe we'll both be acting in Atlanta soon again. Um, well, we're scheduled we're, to go back any minute. You know, I'm going to be there any minute, I would imagine, you know, because it's, it's uh, for the next season. But, you know, God bless you. Thank you so much. I'm going to run now and take care of business. But um, I love you and I, all you guys out there. Be cool. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.